Welcome to the First State Insights, a podcast presented by the University of Delaware's Institute for Public Administration, IPA for short. My name's Sean O'Neill, and I'm a staff member at the Institute. I'm happy to be your host for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. On today's episode, I'm joined by Mary Ellen Gray, Director of Planning and Development for the City of Newark, Delaware. Mary Ellen and I will be talking about her professional background and recent planning and development issues in Newark, including new developments on Main Street and at the Star Campus. My interview with Mary Ellen was recorded on October 22nd of 2020. We are happy today to have Mary Ellen Gray here with us. So thank you very much for joining us today, Mary Ellen. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. I know a little bit about your past, having you know, having worked in multiple states as a planner. But can you tell us a little bit more about how and why you became a planner, and what drives you to kind of keep a passion for the profession? Because I know that can be can be difficult sometimes as a planner to sort of keep that passion going. Sure, I'd be happy to. The why I became a planner has everything to do with the how. So while I'm going to talk a little bit uh, about both here. So I wanted to become a planner when I didn't know that planning was a profession when I was a kid. Since I was a kid growing up on Long Island with my five brothers and sisters, the interaction, I was always interested in the interaction between humans and the environment, how roads were built, what causes traffic. I remember asking my dad, like, What causes traffic? Where does traffic start? And he'd be looking at me like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And, and, And who decides what buildings were built and why? I was always fascinated with that. But I just didn't have a name for it. I didn't know, you know, who did that? Uh, so I was also interested, uh, while growing up and through my college years in public service. But my path to becoming a planner, since I didn't really know that that was a profession, was a little circuitous at the time. And that demonstrates that not everyone's career starts out in a straight path. It's, you know, it's not always you start here and you end up, you know, point A to point B. And I, and I think that's okay. Um, in college, I started, I studied geology and because I wanted to understand how the earth worked. And also it was a little easier than, uh, it had a little less math than some other things, frankly. Uh, but I really did, uh, did want to understand how, how things worked. Uh, then after college, I became interested in working for a company doing environmental work because I was really interested in the environment. I still had no idea that there was a planning profession at the time. And after working for a couple of firms, I also moved to, after college, I moved to the D.C. area because that, that was where I thought the environmental work would, would be. And after working for a couple of firms and working my way up and gaining experience, I started exploring opportunities for professional development and graduate work. And it was then I discovered planning and the graduate program at the University of Virginia. Um, they had a night, a part-time program um, in, in Northern Virginia for urban environmental planning, and I found my calling. And, uh, and then I simultaneously found a company that paid for 100% of my tuition for graduate work. It was the Cold War at the time, so I'm going way back, way, way, way back, <laughs> way back in the 80s. Uh, I work for. I was working for a defense contractor, McDonnell Douglas, which is no longer in in business anymore. 
Uh, but they had lots of, there was lots of money, lots of defense contractors. As long as I did my job well, which of course I did, uh, they were happy to pay for any, any graduate work that I wanted to take. So, um, so I did. So I went to work there at, at during the day, worked, went to school at night and made progress in my degree. And then I still never forget this. The wall came, I went, came home one day and my now husband was watching the Berlin Wall came down. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so the very next day, there was contraction at work. <laughs> contractors, <laughs> contractors started contracting and I was still there, um, but I started looking for other work. Mm-hmm. And by then I was very far along in my, my graduate work. So I was able to find a, a job with a consulting firm, environmental consulting firm, and was able to complete my degree. But then I found, so then I wanted to work in envir- as an environmental planner when I completed my degree. And, and it was pretty competitive in the D.C. area. So I found, you know, being geographically flexible was the thing to do to find a job in that, in that field. So I ended up uh, Bloomington, Indiana called. And um, so it, it, this was pre-internet, ni- 1995. So, you know, we got out the atlas, like, where's Bloomington, Indiana? Good Lord. And because it's the Midwest, and I was a little, little kind of nervous about the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Never been there. And uh, so we looked up, like, hey, there's a body of water and there's a university. So this is good. So it all worked out. So from then, from 1995 onward, I've been a planner ever since working. So I've worked for uh, a state, a county, and now city level being a planner. Um, so that's kind of a little bit of the kind of the how I, I got into planning. So I was always interested in public service, getting back to the public service component. And what drives me, back to your question about the passion, what drives me my passion for work in public service and and what fulfills me is, well, it goes back to my mom. I think it goes back to your parents. And what my mom used to tell me uh, when raising me, and that she should always leave a place better than when you found it. And I try to direct my energies and work towards making the parts of the world that I touch be physical, you know, being the land that we touch or my interactions with the, with the public, you know, people one-on-one or being in meetings uh, better, you know, make people feel better, make the, make the world a better place. It's, it sounds, sounds cliche, but I, I think that that's how I try to live and that's how I try to work. And so I, I try to, to when I go to work each day, make the make the place that we that we all live in uh, better, so that we can live in peace and all places that we live in high quality uh, that are safe and enable people to live, work, and play in harmony in the built environment. And I know, as I just said, it's a lofty goal. Uh, some would say it's a stretch goal. Some would say it's kind of you know cliche, as I just mentioned, but. That's what I have a passion for. And that's what gets me up every day. That's interesting. There's a lot there. I always find it interesting to find it, to hear more about uh, those things about people. I know you know, for me, it's similar in terms of, of my parents driving me. My, my mother worked in real estate. My father worked in uh, public sector parks management. So it's like, you know, okay. kind of like those two emphasis influences come together a little bit with planning. But yeah. And, and I've, I've, you know, most planners you meet, they, they come from kind of all different backgrounds and interests. So uh, mm-hmm. interesting to hear that. So you know, I, I know you have a lot going on in Newark mm-hmm. right now. A lot of new projects, a lot of activity going on, you know, even despite the pandemic. 
So can you touch on some of the larger projects and plans that you're working on in the city right now? And if COVID is impacting any of them? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, first, I want to talk about what's currently being built, which has been recently approved and being built on the ground. And I want to talk about what we have in, kind of in the pipeline. And then also want to talk about some of the policy projects that we have going on, which impacts the built environment as well. So what we currently have being built some of the larger projects. Of course, we have some of the small projects, but some of the larger projects um, I think uh, people would be interested in hearing about that, we, that you see um, being built as you drive around because uh, lots of cranes about. Project at 321 Hillside, that is a student housing project, and that is the former, um, the former dormitory. Those uh, who have gone to University of Delaware, former uh, Rod, not Rod, uh, Dickinson. So the former Rodney Pride dorm is, is being turned into a stormwater management slash park facility by the city. And the, Dick, and the Dickinson dorm is now being built privately into a um, townhouse style and apartment style uh, apartment complex for students. That recently got, that got approved last year and that is currently being built right now. That is 48, uh, I believe 48 townhouses and a little over 50 uh, units of uh, apartment. So that is one project. We have another non-student uh, a, a project is a student, excuse me, a senior living, assistant living facility on uh, Barksdale Road. And um, that project is currently, that, that did get impacted by COVID and that got paused um, on the, the developer. Uh, they paused it due to COVID, not because I, it's my understanding that they're, it, it's on their side, they, they paused it, um, not, not because of us. Um, so that is, is being paused and hopefully they're going to start building in November. Uh, another project, which is um, really exciting, College Square, mm -hmm. that has gotten approved and they are, have broken ground and uh, that's a 305 units of apartments and a shopping and retail center in a town square model. And so that we're hoping, what we're looking at to kind of anchor Newark, and that will be extending the uh, bike path or bike trail all the way that goes through Newark. And uh, so they have a number of bike pathways throughout there, lots of open space and the uh, apartments are being targeted to professionals and empty nesters. So we're really hoping that that is going to be a non-student, not that students are welcome, but it will be, this will be um, kind of here an anchor to, to Newark and uh, really, and, and also have other amenities there for the public to go to. Because uh, we're realizing in, in Newark, we have a lot of development, but we don't have a lot of amenities. So like uh, maybe another movie theater, maybe a bowling alley, maybe some other types of things there. So the developers are looking there. And that's a local developer, too. So we're really happy. And that's the same developer that developed that, that strip shopping center um, back in the, in the 70s. So Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's his, his son. Yeah, a, a little bit. Yeah. The little bit I know about that one, you know, the, from the construction side, I know the group mm -hmm. working on that. Some of their other projects, they do build very, very high end, great quality stuff. So yes. I'm excited. Yes. Yeah, I know a lot of people are, are worried about traffic there, but I'm I'm really excited to see what'll what'll go. Very, very excited. Actually, that well, the apartment complex, the they partnered with 
uh, that that company that mm-hmm. they they built high end up in they do a lot of development up in 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 uh, Pennsylvania. We toured a number of those developments. A very high end. We're we're very excited about. So, a couple of other projects that are being built uh, certainly on the Star Campus. A couple of private uh, public private partnerships going on there. Of course, the, you have the Star Tower that was completed uh, a little over a year and a half ago. Uh, we have the Nimble Building, which is um, a pharmaceutical slash uh, research building that's about 300,000 square feet. We also have the Tremors Building, which is a spinoff of DuPont, and that's over 100,000 square feet of research building and also includes a really super duper cool blast area, which is so cool watching it being built. It's a testing area and they don't blow anything up, but they have it in there just in case something does. Wow. So, oh. so, so it's a test area, and they yeah. have it just in case, and they, they don't want anything to blow up, and it it has a teeny tiny chance that it might. So, <laughs> yeah. so that's where they have to do the testing. So, watching it being built, this huge area, and how it's and the construction of it is was really fascinating. So that's what's going on in the historic, and they've just started another building called FinTech, which I'm mm-hmm. sure you guys know about, which is a combination. Of, uh, you probably know more about than I, um, an economic uh, economic research type building. So that's another combination of public-private partnership there. So that just uh, recently broke ground. So that's going on. So moving on to projects that are in-house, uh, moving along, uh, that will be coming to Planning Commission and Council here very shortly, a project, uh, a couple of projects on Main Street. Uh, 132, 136 East Main Street on uh, 26 mixed units of mixed use, 26 uh, units of uh, student apartments and mixed use uh, moving uh, westward, 141 East Main Street. That's another project that will be coming up. It's on uh, 90 units, uh, student units with, with on-site parking, a parking garage. Uh, we're hoping to have shared uh, parking um, on. Um, that's going to go from Delaware Avenue up to Main Street. So it's quite, it's over an acre project, uh, quite, quite, quite large. And that's going to be coming to Planning Commission hopefully in December as well. The Super 8 Motel um, next to the Grain on 268 East Main, they are looking to convert that to a five-story student unit, student apartment mixed use on the first floor commercial. And the, the Green Mansion, the hotel project, yep. which is now currently a home, hmm. um, that that was paused. That was a project that was approved as a hotel, and with with uh, a park, excuse me, with uh, offices in the front in the, the Green Mansion that was being preserved. Um, they paused that building. They paused the construction on that and now have proposed a revision, which is currently being reviewed. And we're going to get that to Planning Commission and Council as soon as we can. And that is now going to be a hotel and in the front and uh, student housing in the back. So 48 units, uh, 40, yeah, 48 units in the back and 104 uh, hotel units in the front with parkings, uh, subterranean parking in between, and uh, hopefully a shared unit, a shared parking arrangement as well as, as we had in uh, the first project. So, mm. um, yeah, so that's, that, that's what's in the pipeline. Uh, moving on to 
some of the policy things that we're working on. We're working on about a year into this project, and we just had a public meeting on this, a virtual public meeting on transportation improvement district uh, that we're putting together for for the um, city of Newark, and that's a geographic area fine for the purpose of securing uh, required improvements to transportation facilities in the area by comprehensively coordinating with transportation planning partners, land use, and transportation decisions. So it's an area that we're defined that we've defined that uh, we are going to come up with. Uh, we are doing a um, a model for kind of the build out. What what would be the maximum build out in that area, and then come up with basically a unit price of. Uh, how much would it cost cost to do improvements to all the the, the um, roads in the area? Not only roads, but multimodal, and then that would be divided among all the projects that are coming in. So the beauty of this for Newark is most of the projects in Newark come under the threshold for what would be required for a transportation improvement study, uh, or or right. otherwise known as a TIS. So most of the projects are, are incremental. So you have a 10-unit project over here, just as I described, a 26-unit project over here, a 48-unit project over there. But they all add up. And so they all add up in it and, and have brought and uh, result in traffic on, our, on the roads, traffic uh, on our infrastructure. So... Um, so the, the idea is that we would come up with this unit price, basically, and for developers to pay into a fund for road improvements when the threshold for those road improvements need to be done. Yep. Yeah, we, so we've done quite, I want to say quite a bit of work, but some work with DelDOT at IPA on TIDs. And uh, I would encourage anybody that's interested to, to just Google it and find it on DelDOT's website. And they... Yep all kinds of information we put together a brochure describing it and it's a program yeah so there's a program they're looking to expand i think that they're, mm-hmm. they're looking at other areas of the state to apply it to and um yeah i think it's it's great that they're looking at it for a great program and sarah coakley had from the principal planner from from Dot has been uh leading has been the lead planner from Dot to work with and there and she's been awesome Mm-hmm. And uh, working with a consulting uh, firm, AECOM, who's they've been fabulous to work with. Uh, two other projects needed a, a year-long effort on uh, with the rental housing work group uh, to come up with. And this was a, a citywide effort to come up with recommendations on rental housing. It started off with recommendations on student housing, but then it grew mm-hmm. to come up with recommendations not only on um, student housing. Uh, regarding how to better manage rental housing and how to, but also how to uh, come up with recommendations on affordable housing and senior housing as well. So um, we came up with a set of recommendations, lots of public meetings. This is pre-COVID, uh, lots of public outreach. We did a public survey. Uh, we had uh, three meetings with city council for input and discussion. And the, the final meeting was um, in June where we had um, where I put together a matrix and a work plan. So they have approved that with a set of recommendations. Now, given COVID and our current budget situation, I put off the major rulemakings for 
not this year, but for next year, because we don't have the staff or the consultant budget to help, because we're going to need some help for consultant budget wise for the consultants. Um, but we're looking at putting together um, a ordinance for uh, accessible dwelling units. We're looking at um, some other uh, changes to our rental, uh, our rental ordinances to help ensure that our rental housing is safe and also uh, protective of landlords as well. So there's, there's, a, there's a lot there. And we're also looking at some other uh, mechanisms for getting in some funding for affordable housing. We're looking at, um, it, it depends on what you call it, the workforce housing ordinance or whatever you want to call that ordinance. <laughs> uh, so that's another ordinance that we'll be looking to do. Uh, not next this year, but next year. And that and the model for that is State Pen State College Pennsylvania, which will be looking to um, basically have a fee in lieu uh, for, for student housing units that are created to have a fund to create when we create student housing units, either have units, affordable housing units created, a percentage of affordable housing units created, or have a fee in lieu so we can partner with nonprofit organizations to create affordable housing units. In mm -hmm. So that's another thing we're very excited about doing. And one other quick thing before I move on is uh, the planning department manages our public bus system. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, we've been uh, looking at our public bus system called Unicity due to budget cuts and, and, and COVID and all that. We've been, uh, we are, have on a pilot of, of doing a new bus system, a new bus loop. And we're seeing how that goes. We just started it this month and we're going to see how it goes and see if it's more efficient and see if people like it. It's certainly made for an interesting time the last two years. You've been president of the Delaware chapter of the American Planning Association, which is actually how I first came to know you and meet you. And now, you know, we've been serving on the executive board together. So was interested to, uh, to hear now that your two-year two term as president of APA Delaware is about to wrap up. Can you talk a little bit about that experience and how it's helped you grow as a professional? It has really, I feel, it has stretched me, and I hope it's made me a better planner and a better person. Uh, I'll leave that to others. And if you feel otherwise, don't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've done a great job. Oh, well, yeah. thank you. Um, but I, I think all in all, it, it's been, I think, a wonderful experience, and I'm grateful to be given the opportunity. I still remember when I think it was Jim Galvin was talking to me like, hey, do you want to consider running for the president of this? And this is like five years ago. I'm just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but anyway, um, so it time flies, time flies when when you're when you're busy. So I all in all, I think it, it's enabled me to, to work with people from all planning professions, not only throughout the state, but also throughout the country. Because um, as the president, you're supposed to go to not only the national meetings, but then you also have these meetings called the Chapters President's Council, where you meet with all other chapter presidents throughout the, uh, of the states. 
And when you when you go to the meetings, it's in alphabetical order. So we sit. So Delaware sits between Florida and California, which is always interesting because yeah. California has like a gazillion people. Yeah. And, and Florida has a gazillion people, and they have like staff. I was gonna say like they, they have a lot oh, of staff. Yeah. In California. They have, they have like twelve staff. Yeah, they have more staff than <laughs> I do. I'm like, you know, how, how many staff do you have? Like, how many staff do you have? I'm like, yeah, we have like volunteers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So anyway, it's kind of humbling, but that's okay. It's good because it's what you learn by going to these, and even now we do it virtually, is that the people do things differently and and but you're always you're always trying to get to the same place and but it's it's good that you do things differently because you have different tools to work with you know you come from a different environment and that as planners you're given a different set of problems but the goal is is the same and you're just trying to figure out how to get to the same place Mm -hmm. and um so that has i think has been the one of the best learning experiences is that has exposed me to so many different ways of doing things and and looking at things. And as planners, that's I, I think the the best lesson of all is that I think what makes a planner a good planner is learning how to look at things from different angles, learning how to get the different perspective. You're talking to the person, you know, on the phone or you're at a meeting. And you need to understand in order to solve their problem, best way you can, sometimes you can't, but in order to understand their problem, you need to try to walk in their footsteps. And sometimes we get jaded about that when we're sitting in our desks and we have to answer a hundred emails and we've got to do our reports. And, and, but when you, when you're able to step back and go to these meetings and also when we go to have, have our monthly meetings, uh, with the chapter, it's it's a reminder and a refresher that we're all planners in a different way, but we're all trying to get to the same place. And the same place we're trying to get to is is to make our worlds that we work in a better place. Mm-hmm. And um, and that has really it, it energizes me. I guess I come away from this experience energized and with a much wider perspective. And and I and I'm I'm very thankful to have had that. Experience. And hopefully great. I did a good job. Hopefully I just didn't. Yeah, no, I think you did a great yeah. job. Yeah. 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 It's, it's been, it's been good the last couple of years. I think you've done a very good job. It's interesting. Yeah. The, uh, the making places better, I think is the one thing that, that drives, you know, pretty much all planners regardless mm-hmm. of it's like, yeah. you know, transportation planning, environmental planning, whatever you do. It's, um, I know for me, it's, it's always about, you know, the fact that having worked in real estate, especially, it's it's like why can't we do this better you know like it seems like we should be able to do this better Mm -hmm. and you know we know all the reasons why that doesn't happen all the time but it doesn't mean we should stop trying so Mm -hmm. um, exactly making better places so finally i wanted to ask you since i i I had you here wanted to ask you to describe your experiences as a woman in in leadership roles not just in newark but in in you know uh, epa delaware and then you know in kent county and other places you've worked but also, I uh, wanted to mention this at some point as a planning commission chair for your hometown of Camden, Delaware. Mm-hmm. So you've had a lot of hats as a as a woman in leadership uh, in government, and wanted to ask you what what are some of the challenges that uh, women face in these roles that uh, may get overlooked or underappreciated by men or the general public at times? 
Sure. Um, and it's, it's funny. I was always talking to someone the other day, and, and I mentioned this because I've been at, well, I talked about it since 1995, so I've been at this a while. And it, things have gotten more diverse as I've gotten older. Um, but it, it, it's, I was in the meeting, meeting, well, before COVID. And, and I, sometimes I look around the room going, I'm the only woman in here. And it, it, most of the time I am. I, I just really notice it. And I'm also, as, as you know, you know me, I'm also very tall. And I've been tall for so long, I just don't notice it until, like, I look at a picture of me with somebody. I'm like, wow, I'm kind of like the only woman there. I'm kind of tall. I never notice it. So, um, but then there are other times when I do. And when I do notice it is when there are, it's not so much stressful times, but when um, I think COVID has brought it out a lot. And hmm. that um, in talking with even my own staff and with, you know, challenges of working at home and working with the situations that we have. And it became quickly obvious to me what families had support at home and what families didn't. And what I think is overlooked often and it's, I think it's gotten a lot better is the family situation. And even it, the, in the, the tradition of, of women raising the family. And I was in a situation for a number of years that my husband was on the road for a number of years. And so I had, and my kids are now high, are in high school, one in grade school. Um, so they can, you know, Get themselves up and you know they do so but they're a long time they they need they need a 24-7 minding so i pulled back my career and so because so i could focus on them because i had to focus on them and and i think that there are times and situations where people who don't experience that ever that never comes into their their thought pattern. And when that doesn't, that changes. When we don't have to think about that, it might have you make decisions as a manager or how you run things differently. And if you have to think about that, or if you have that experience, then it helps you make different decisions and helps you, I think, be a more well-rounded manager. For example, given my experience as a just a ra- raising the kids and my kid, uh, husband being on the road, when I was a planning commissioner, and I still am a planning commissioner, I want to get to the kind of kind of planning commissioner we have a couple minutes. I've ran into a couple of times when I didn't have a babysitter, either either for my uh, Ken County job or being a planning commissioner. I still remember town county planning commissioner had a meeting, my babysitter crapped out. Okay, well, I got to take my kids. My kids were like in third grade and fifth grade. I'm like, okay, take my kids in the meeting. Tried to bribe them, didn't work, and they were still messing up and they were messing around the room. I'm like, send them out in the hall and they're messing around the hall. You, you just do the best you can. So, my experience with that and my experience in working as for the Kent County when I had a couple of times where I didn't have a babysitter, I had to take them to a meeting and just, you just, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took to to, to um, my city, 
uh, proposal last year to pay my planning commissioners uh, a stipend. So they could, so for a couple of reasons. One is I want to get more diversity into the planning commission because if I wanted to attract people in there and if there was a single mom there or somebody who had kids, that that $100 could pay for a babysitter. And, and, what, and what if we had meetings that had daycare? What, how would that change a meeting? Because when we have our public meetings, we usually get the same people. We usually get retired people because they have time. People with families don't have time or people with families who might want to come they can't come because they have to watch their kids or the single mom or the single dad. They can't, they, they got to watch the kids. So what if we had meetings that had a babysitter? I understand a mayor somewhere did that. And, or even, or, or a, a real important public meeting where you want to have. So, so I'm, I'm raising this, um, I'm kind of babbling here, but I'm bringing this up as an example so that so having me having had these experiences makes me think of these kind of things, makes me think of the other dimensions of people's lives, and not to say that somebody who hasn't had these experiences doesn't make people think of these dimensions, but it might not be in the forefront. So the the fact that people have lived their lives differently and might have different situations that might be having to be managed or have conversations about, I think that as a woman, I tend to look at that. So that's, that's why I feel it gives me an advantage. So. Um, that's, that's very interesting. Um, very interesting point. I think it is worth, we're in a, a moment now for other reasons or a variety of reasons we are looking at, you know, how we do things or structures that we have in place or systems of government. And uh, it is worth thinking more about how we do things in, in terms of the fact that, you know, thinking about single parents that work or even, you know, like my, my household, my wife and I, uh, mm-hmm. two uh, working parents that uh, don't, don't have a lot of time outside of work uh, either way. So those things are, are, are worth thinking about, in, you know, in contrast to how you know, more families were, I guess, in the past with, uh, you know, one parent at home, one parent working. Right. Probably when a lot of these things were set up, you know, it made more sense originally when mm-hmm. when some of these systems were put in place. But um, I want to uh, thank you very much for joining me today. And um, I uh, look forward to talking to you again soon at, at the next uh, APA Delaware Executive Board meeting. You're welcome. Thank you. It's my pleasure and my honor. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate it. For more information on the City of Newark planning and development, access the meeting minutes and audio recordings of recent meetings on the city's website at newarkde.gov backslash archive.aspx. To find out more about the Delaware chapter of the American Planning Association, you can visit their website at delawareapa.wordpress.com. These links are also in the show notes. To learn more about IPA, you can visit us at ipa.udel.edu. Thanks for listening to today's episode. 
Subscribe to First State Insights so that you'll never miss the podcast. 